on Wednesday night we finished 2 Kings chapter 15, but this morning I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3, in verse 15. felt like worship was a little shorter this morning. Don't worry, we're going to come back to it. I've noticed that there are a lot of spiritual serendipities, little uh, points of grace, little blessings that, that come along with going through the Bible word for word and verse by verse, as we've been doing for nearly five years now. October the 8th will be five years that we've been meeting and studying through the through the Word, and uh, I may be wrong, but I think by my calculation, and, and it's because when we go through these studies, I, I have kind of a numbering system for, um, for each study, so I can kind of keep track of it, but I think this morning marks 403 studies that we've done since we started, which surprised me. I didn't realize it was that many. But what's great about that is that as we go through all of this verse-by-verse study through the Bible, we, we discover things that we would have missed otherwise. Things that I had never known. I don't know about you, but there have been so many incidental happenings and verses and statements by the Lord that I didn't have any idea about. And probably wouldn't have have we not been walking through the Word the way we are? And so there's a great blessing now. We, we recognize some things both with mankind and with the Lord. We begin to see a pattern emerge for humanity. From the very beginning, from the very first sin, we see this cyclical pattern in the way that humanity expresses itself and it is in our propensity to sin. When left to our own devices, guess what? That's what we're going to do. And we see it again and again and again. And in the Kings, as we've been studying, we see... Welcome home, Jim. We see as we study through the Kings, that even the best of Kings are going to fall. As they're marching along, following the Lord, hands to the work of the Lord, we see them sin. And it's so disappointing, but, but no more so than when we fall in our own life, when we sin thinking again this morning as we were singing Amazing Grace how desperately I need God's amazing grace because at this point in my life I continue to see things in my character and my personality that I just don't like things that reflect more the flesh than they do the spirit and so we see that pattern of humanity as a propensity to sin but we also see the remarkable patience of the Lord how he just doesn't give up no matter how bad we get He continues to be there. He continues to wait. He continues to walk us through. He allows people to feel the full weight of their sin, no doubt. But He patiently waits for them to repent. His rescue, His deliverance, it never seems to end His heart of grace. We went so far as to say even on Wednesday night that the reality of grace is that we can do anything. I mean, if you take grace to its fullest extent... True biblical grace says we are covered from every sin. Paul says all things are lawful for me. Not all things are beneficial. But God's grace is so vast and so wide, literally there is not a sin we can commit 
that He cannot forgive us for and draw us back from if we will turn to Him in repentance. That being said, as we study through the Bible, certain other things pop up unexpectedly. Things that we might not have seen, again, have we not been stopping to smell the Scriptures as we go? Have we not been pausing to say, well, wait a minute, what is this and what does that mean? And this is one of those things this morning I've been wanting to talk about and kind of put off until today. I had to think about it some more. But 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15 tells us something fascinating. It's something the Holy Spirit pointed out and said, pay attention to this. Stop here, note this. It's a single verse where Elisha calls for music. I'm going to start in verse 14. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. And he's talking to Joram, the king of Israel. And they've come to him to seek counsel, prophetic counsel, about what's going to happen in a war they're about to engage in. And to figure out that counsel, to hear the voice of the Lord, listen to what Elisha asks for. He says, verse 15, Now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Well, that's an odd verse. It's curious that that would be in there, that it just kind of stands out in the scriptures. It is one of those verses that makes me say, what? What was that? When the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Elisha actually in that moment called for a musician to come and begin to play. The harp or the lyre, I, I don't know, but to, to start playing. And while the music was playing, and while the music uh, figuratively washed over him, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to hear the Lord. We haven't really seen this happen much before. We're not with Elisha. He's, he's prophesied plenty of times without any musician present. And yet in this case, he pauses. I think the music of the minstrel here allowed Elisha to dial down to literally shut out the white noise of the world. That constant buzz and hum that confuses and distracts us. And he just listened then to the word of the Lord. Kyle and Delich in their excellent commentary wrote, The powerful influence exerted by music upon the state of mind was well known even in the earliest times. The wise men of Greece recommended music to soothe the passions, to heal mental diseases, and even to check tumults among the people. You may even recall in the story of the Titanic that as it went down, the captain ordered the orchestra out onto the deck to play music. For no other reason but to just keep the people calm and those musicians played as the ship went down. Now this is fascinating to me, partially because I love music. I was raised in a musical household, my mother being a concert violinist, my brother being a, a musician par excellence, and me kind of scrambling along behind them, learning what I could. But I've also noticed something, that in our Sunday and midweek services we have a tendency. And the tendency is this. We tend to line up. And I've heard this from different people. People who say, I am here for the teaching. I love the teaching. Or people who say, no, I'm here for the worship. I just love the worship. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and I know I've been quoting comedian Tim Hawkins a lot, but I think it was on a Wednesday night I mentioned that 
Tim Hawkins said that when a person says they love the worship of their church, what they really mean is the teaching stinks. <laughs> and when they say they love the teaching of their church, they mean that the worship's not, not too good. The truth is, gang, we need, and please understand me in this, we need a healthy balance of both. We need not to just feed on the words. We need to feed in the worship. Worship, as far as the Bible is concerned, is every bit as critical as Bible study is. It's every bit as important. And coming across Elijah's request for a minstrel, you might think, well, this is odd, it's interesting, but maybe it's just an Elijah thing. You'd be wrong if you think that. Apparently, music is a prophet thing. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible tells us that uh, Samuel is telling Saul, as he just anointed Saul to be Israel's first king, he's telling him how the Holy Spirit is going to come upon him. Listen to what he says. 1 Samuel 10, verse 5, You will come to the hill of God, with, where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. The Bible says in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 10, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. What's happening? These prophets are coming down the mountain, and as Saul goes up, he meets them. The Bible goes on to tell the story. This is exactly what happens. He meets this group of prophets, but they're singing. And they're playing instruments. And they're in the midst of worship as they're walking along. And he meets them. And as he meets them, and this music is playing, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. And he begins to prophesy too, which blows away all the people. In fact, it even evoked this saying. Is, is Saul now among the prophets? I mean, the people were surprised because Saul was not a prophetic kind of a guy. But it tells us that when Saul received the Holy Spirit, he did so in the midst of this music being played by the prophets. This is not just prophets on parades. We can assume that more prophets than just Elisha utilize music as a means of opening their ears to hear the Lord and bringing hearts of praise to the Lord. And David, a musician himself, thought it was so important he assigned a specific role of worship to the Levites, to a group of them, worship in the temple. Let me give you this verse. It's not up there, but you can jot this down. First Chronicles 15, verse 16. It says, David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives the singers with instruments of music, harps and lyres, loud-sounding cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, he was truly the first he-man in the Bible. And from his relatives, Asaph, the son of Berechiah. And Asaph, by the way, wrote many of the songs that we have in the Bible. From the sons of Merari, their relatives, Ethan, the son of Cushaiah. And so we see early on, David saw the importance. Obviously David did. Most of the psalms, or many of the psalms, he wrote with the harp or with the lyre. They're on the mountainside as a young shepherd, or even growing up as a king in the palace. David understood something about instrumental worship. About that kind of praise, something that would happen. I want to give you three things to note this morning about the hand of the minstrel, and then we're going to get back to some worshiping. Three quick things to note. Number one, worship music is not about personal preference. And this is one of the most difficult things for us to get our hearts around in the church. Worship music is not about personal preference. It's not about the kind of music you like or dislike. People will actually choose a church based on whether or not they sing hymns. Or based upon whether or not they do more contemporary worship because we don't want the old dusty stuff. 
or I like this church because it rocks, or I like this church because it's soft, or I like this church. Hey, worship is not about personal preference. It doesn't matter what you like. Because worship is not about you. It's exactly what Harlan said. His first words out of his mouth when he stood up here this morning. It's simply not about us. It's about getting our eyes off us, to walk in the paths of righteousness. It's about having my eyes on the Father, not on me. Worship is not about personal preference. Revelation 15, verse 3 says, They sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Now let me ask you, when all the nations gather to worship before the Lord, do you think a single person is going to go, well, I, just don't, I don't like this song. This just, sorry, this just isn't my groove. You know, I'll wait for the next one and see if it's one that I can sing with. The reality is, when that worship bursts forth, not a single person will be silent. We will finally really understand what it means to worship the Lord. When we are in His presence, we will not be able to help ourselves. By the way, Revelation 15, something interesting to note. It mentions two songs. It says they're going to sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. You realize in Scripture, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb are the first and the last songs written in the Bible. It's covering both ends of the spectrum. Conjointly, the song of Moses was a worship song to God the Father. And the song of the Lamb was also a worship song to God the Son. What are you saying, Rick? Simply this. The Bible has no problems, no trouble identifying the true nature of Jesus Christ as God. He and the Father are one. I worship the Father, I worship the Son. As I worship the Son, I worship the Father. Distinct in their roles... United in their character. Indeed, Jesus said in Revelation 22.13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the point is, worship is His. Worship is about Him. As Paul wrote in Romans 11.36, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. For the worship's not about whether I'm enjoying it or into it. No, the question is not... Am I into the music? The question is, am I into the Lord? If I'm into the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on up here. I can worship. Second thing to note. Amazingly wonderfully, and we've, we've touched on this before. What's incredible to me is even though we come to worship the Lord, and even though worship is completely about the Lord, worship still does something to us. It prepares us for His presence. Worship music prepares us for His presence. Now I'm leaning in the area of of the music itself. There is something about the hand of the minstrel, the music that leads us in and prepares us for His presence. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul is going to repeat this threefold description of worship again in his letter to the church at Colossae. Three key aspects of worship that he gives in Ephesians 5, specifically verse 19. And I shared these, and I could not remember when I shared these, if it was a Wednesday or a Sunday a while back. But, but check this out, it's fascinating. He says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
three definitions of a way of worship specifically related to music. The first one is psalms. Speak to him in psalms. I want to give you the Greek word for each one of these because they're very telling. The word psalms is solo. Solo means to pluck. It doesn't mean to sing. Solo, literally, the psalms are musical poems. Songs set to music. To pluck. Now, I haven't seen anybody try to pluck their vocal cords. So you could try to do that. It might be a little painful. But we're talking specifically about instrumental praise. The music of the minstrel. Psalm 33, verse 1. David says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Which doesn't mean with the person who can't tell the truth. (laughs) The lyre, the instrument at that time. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Solo to pluck. Second word. Sing to one another in psalms and hymns. Hymns is the Greek word humnos. Humnos literally means a sacred song of praise or celebration. And usually it was a type of song that was written to a conquering hero. A humnos. And of course when we think about the Lord, He is our conquering hero. Psalm 48 verse 1. David said, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north. Why? Because it's the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. So we have the solo to pluck. We've got whom knows? A song of sacred praise. And thirdly, we have spiritual songs, which is pneumatikos ode. Pneumatikos ode in the Greek means a spiritually given ode. Now this is interesting. Spiritually given. It's not something that is generated in the flesh. It's something generated by the Spirit for the Spirit. There are some songs of worship, and it doesn't matter how many times we sing them, they have a way of just immediately transporting us into the place of the Holy Spirit. Amazing Grace. Something about Amazing Grace. We're told historically John Newton wrote that song. Spiritually, the Holy Spirit wrote that song. And there are a number of songs that we have learned and we sing over time that we realize there is something anointed about this. You may hear people use that word. It's an anointed song. What are they saying? It was written by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. I don't know if you've heard this or seen this recently on, the, uh, on YouTube, but it's gone around a little bit about the origins of Amazing Grace. That Amazing Grace can be played using only the black, black keys on the piano. Those five notes, which are often we're told are the five notes that was used in African spirituals in African songs John Newton was a slave trader he was a captain of a slave ship and it's believed by many that the music for Amazing Grace was a song that he heard the slaves singing in the holds of the ship a melody that got into his head and after he gave his life to Jesus He sat down and wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The very music of the slave, written into that song. 
The point is simply this. Amazing Grace, like so many other songs, is a pneumatikos ode. It's a spiritual song. Paul says this, another interesting verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the mind also. He's in an interesting place where he's describing spiritual life and interacting with the Lord. Praying with the mind, singing with the mind means singing logically, understanding what you're saying. You, you are, it's a song from you to the Lord. Singing with the Spirit. An interesting concept. It is singing from the Lord to the Lord. And it's singing words given by the Spirit returned to the Spirit. Worship music prepares us for His presence because it prepares us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul makes a direct link between worship and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Whether, whether it's solo or humnos or pneumatikos o dei. Psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs. There is a link that Paul makes between that kind of worship and the Holy Spirit. Let me read this verse to you again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, how do I do that? Well, here's one way. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God. You want to be able to hear the Spirit of God. An absolute key is worship. When I'm having a hard time in Bible study, understanding what it is that the Lord is wanting me to draw out of a passage or a chapter a lot of times what I will do in the privacy of my office is close my Bible and pull out my guitar I spend a few minutes worshiping it's amazing how it just it clears my mind of, of the things that I'm, you know trying to work it out trying to put my hands to what God is doing and it opens up my heart and allows my heart to hear the Lord and that's what we're talking about here being filled with the Spirit through worship Paul makes an amazing link there uh, I want to make a statement here, and I make it as an emphatic statement, and you may disagree. But I said this Wednesday night, show me a man who can do without worship, and I'll show you, show you a man who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Show me a person who says, eh, I can give or take the worship. I don't really need it. I put up with it, and I'll show you someone who's just putting up with God. The worship is so absolutely vital to our spiritual growth and our spiritual life that it can't be an afterthought or one of those other things. So, you know what? If I miss the worship, no big deal as long as I'm there in time for the teaching. I wonder if that breaks God's heart. Because the worship time is not just getting ready for teaching. The worship time is pouring out our hearts to the Father. Now the worship is important for the teaching as well. The Spirit of the Lord loves worship. He uses worship to speak into our lives, glorifying Jesus, reminding us of what Jesus said, and illuminating the Word of Christ to us in worship. In fact, in the next verse, Colossians 3.16, Paul now ties worship not only to the filling of the Spirit, but to the teaching of the Word. He says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There they are again, singing with thanks 
thankfulness in our hearts to God. Paul directly links worship music to receiving not only the filling of the Holy Spirit, but the Word of Christ. Because there is something amazing about worship music. It does open up our hearts and prepare us for, for the Word, for teaching. It does get our minds off of ourselves and it prepares us. Worship is preparation. Charlie Peacock, one of the um, guys who was at a songwriter summit I went to a year ago, he made a comment I wrote down and it really hit me. He said, you can't sing the songs of the Lord if you're not in His Word. And how true that is. And we see this, this dichotomy in the church of heavy-duty teaching churches with no spirit and heavy-duty Pentecostal churches with no teaching and both are out in the wrong place. You need both. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit, which the Lord tells us it comes in worship. We need the teaching of the Word, which we're told comes through worship. And so we're right back to the same place, the importance of worship. Listen to the beginning of the last song of Moses, Deuteronomy 31, verse 30. Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were complete. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, and my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. And for 39 more verses, Moses sings. And he teaches the song to Israel. And by the way, it's not like, row, row, row your boat. It's not like a praise chorus that just gets repeated again and again and again and again. You think some of our songs are difficult to learn sometimes? Try learning Deuteronomy 31 and 32, the song of Moses. It's an amazing song, but it is a song that he repeats to the people and teaches them that they might sing it. He sums the whole thing up with this, Deuteronomy 32:47. He says, it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And he's speaking about God's words. He is talking about at the end of the song, Torah. It's not an, an idle word for you. This is your life we're talking about. This is what matters to you. This is what Harlan said. This is the path of righteousness. Sing it. Worship with it. Because worship prepares our hearts and our spirits to receive from the Lord. It prepares us for His presence. And whether it's on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning or in a small group or walking alone in the forest, it doesn't make any difference. The worship prepares us for the presence of the Lord. Like Elisha, it allows us to dial down. It fills our spirits. It takes us away from all the concerns that distract us from the one who sits on the throne and that is Jesus Christ. I told you earlier, it was hard to sit in that Starbucks reading the newspaper. Why, everything from global warming and carbon footprints. Do you know that you can figure out your own carbon footprint? You can go online and there are different, uh, different carbon calculators. And you can type in your usage in terms of electricity and, and your car usage and other things. You can figure out just about how, much, how much you personally are causing in terms of carbon emissions into the world. Watch it, gang. I guarantee you what's coming is taxes based on our carbon footprint. It's coming. 
Just watch. They're gonna. If someone's gonna introduce it and say we need to, we need to, because what you can do, you find out your carbon footprint, and they can tell you how much money you need to give in cash dollars to offset your carbon emissions. This whole thing, to me, and again, you can disagree, and that's fine. It's one of the most foolish things I've ever heard in my life. It just blows my mind. I'm paying for my carbon footprint. I'm paying for the right to live. It's coming. Don't mean to be negative, but it's coming. But I'm sitting here reading all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm telling you, while I'm reading that, it was depressing. And I kept looking up. Cheryl's reading this book on adoption. I'm like, this thing. Why do we want to bring a child into this? Why do we bring any children into this world? You know, I'm, I'm just, I couldn't get out of this muck of the newspaper. I have any trouble getting out of it this morning when we were worshiping. Because worship brings me into the presence of God. And there I see He's King. He, he's on the throne. He has full reign. And so I need not worry. Now, i got to give you a little warning here. Because Satan was also a powerful musician. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 14.11 Your pomp and your music, the music of your harps, have been brought down to Sheol. Ezekiel 28.13 I'm going to give you the King James Version which is a more accurate translation of this and very interesting. It says, You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Now listen, every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of your tabrets and of your pipes was prepared in you in the day you were created. Talking about Satan. What does that mean? It means that he was beautiful, stunning, a guardian cherub, as the Bible tells us also in Ezekiel 28. An amazing spiritual creature created by the Lord for the purpose of worship. No wonder worship teams have such a hard time in the church. Because Satan hates it. That was his stick. That was his thing. That's what he did. And there are some who even think the description of the sardius and topaz and diamond, all these precious stones, that the music literally exuded out of him. He was the first worship leader. And so he hates it. And the devil will do a couple of things. One, he will try to keep you from worshiping the Lord. He'll make your day too busy on a Wednesday to get there in time to worship. He'll make Sunday morning, ah, there's too many things happening. I'll just get there in time for communion and teaching. And you will have missed exactly what Satan wants you to miss. And that's seeing the Lord firmly on His throne. But the devil will also use music to get into our heads as well. Boy, when you look at the music industry today, one of the most frightening places of the influx of Satan into this world is through music. Is it any surprise? Be alert, be discerning to what you listen to because music is a powerful thing. It will open up our minds to receive whatever comes with it. So in the world today, a lot of the music we listen to, the words that come with it, the lyrics, and I talk to my kids all the time about the music, the lyrics, because the music will open our minds to receive and then in pour the lyrics, and it does affect us. One last thing I want to tell you about worship music today. I recently heard something that sounded good to me, at least at first. Someone said, we need more time in worship as a body to practice what we'll be doing in heaven. 
Because we're going to be doing it for eternity. We need more rehearsal time as a body. And I understand the spirit with which that was spoken. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And indeed, Revelation 4 verse 9 says, When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever. And will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and because of Your will, they existed and were created. This is perpetual praise. In this moment we're talking about in Revelation 4, we get this picture of heaven and the cherubim. They begin worshiping and praising God. And when they begin worshiping and praising God, it affects the elders. And so they begin worshiping and praising God, casting their crowns before the Lord, which in turn affects the cherubim, who continue praising and worshiping God, which impacts the elders, who continue worshiping and praising God. And someone said, boy, I can't imagine worshiping all through eternity. How boring will that be? Oh, boy. We have no idea. We are not going to want to stop. Someone's going to say lunch break and we're going to say forget it. I'm worshiping here. You think about the greatest thrill, the the, the highest place you have ever been in your life on planet earth. doesn't come close to where we're going to be when we worship at the foot of the throne. It is going to blow our minds. And we're not going to want to stop. So it's true. That we're going to be worshiping throughout eternity. And we're not going to want to do anything else. Just the very presence of Jesus is going to elicit praise from our mouth. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13:15, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips who give thanks to His name. But listen, as moving as it may sound, as motivating to say, we've got to practice now so we'll be ready to praise then, please hear this. Worship is not a dress rehearsal. We don't gather on Sunday morning to practice. I'll tell you something we have learned in our worship team rehearsals on Thursday nights is when it's about practice, we go out of here empty. When it's about praise, we go out of here full. So number three, if you're jotting these things down, worship music is not about practice. It's about praise. The preparation that takes place when we worship is something the Lord does in it, in us. But it's not to be the heart we bring to worship. We don't worship to prepare ourselves. We don't come in here thinking, okay, I've got to sing some songs so I can hear the Holy Spirit and get the teaching. We worship because that's what we want to do. As David said in Psalm 18.1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you. That's worship. Worship is nothing but pouring out the love that we have for our Father. That's why we, we don't worship to practice. We worship to love. To give our hearts to the Lord now in this place. Not preparation for a latter date when we might come before the Lord and then get to worship and show, us how, show Him how well we practice, how prepared we are. Because man, we spend a lot of extra time on planet Earth in rehearsal for this moment. No. Let's tell you what, if we're not loving God and worship right now, we're going to have trouble loving God and worship then. Because worship is all about the love that we have for the Father. Matt Redman wrote a song about this. Apparently going through a crisis of worship himself, he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. 
And he said these words. He said, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. So he writes in the chorus, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Saying we're not rehearsing, we're adoring. We're not practicing, we're exalting. When we worship, when we worship, we pour out the love that we have for the Father. That's why we do it. And for no other reason. Do you love the Lord? Mm-hmm. He sure loves you. Listen to this last verse. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Why did Elisha call for the minstrel to come and play that he might hear the word of the Lord? Why did he call for a musician before he began prophesying? I think because the best way to hear from the Lord is to express your love for the Lord. Tell him you love him. Let's do that right now. Worship can come on back up.